This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Welcome, everyone, to the Football Odyssey, part of the Sports History Network. This is your host, Aaron Harris. Today's episode is a conversation with Angelo DiBello. Angelo is a New York Giants fan of nearly 65 years and has witnessed some of the greatest players, coaches, and moments in NFL history. Angelo and I discuss his history as a Giants fan, the greatest players of the 60s and 70s, the iconic legacy of Vince Lombardi, and much more. If you enjoyed the interview, then feel free to subscribe and share. And, as always, thank you for listening. So you've been watching football for a long time, and you have probably seen everything that a fan could see at this point. Do you remember the first football game you ever watched? Um, well, I, I think I go back to like 1956, and the New York Giants won the NFL uh, title that year. And I also uh, watched... Um, part of what they called the greatest game greatest game ever played, which was the Colts mm-hmm. and the Giants in 1958. But actually, it was a pretty sloppy game. There was turnovers, there was penalties, and uh, they was tied at the end of regulation or close to the end of the regulation. And uh, Johnny Unitas drove the Colts down the field with precision. I mean, the guy was a master. I mean... He threw the ball 99% of the time to the right receiver. Um, he had a left tackle who was, who was in the Hall of Fame. His name was Jim Parker. And he, he protected uh, United's blind side uh, magnificently. And uh, he had some good receivers. One of them was, um, what the hell is his name? He was slow but had great hands, and he ran... ran precise route, so I'll, I'll think of his name in a minute, and uh, he had a, they scored the winning touchdown on a one or two yard plunge by a player who was from Wisconsin by the name of Alan the Horse Amici, um, and uh, the Colts also had a pretty good defense, they had a guy who was a uh, defensive end named uh, Gino Marchetti, mm-hmm. who has since passed away, and he is also in the uh, NFL Hall of Fame. And I'm not sure if Lenny Moore was on that team. He may have been. And um, Lenny, Lenny Moore went to Penn State. And it's funny about Johnny Unitas. Johnny Unitas went to the, the University of Louisville. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he was undrafted. Uh, this would have been probably around 1953. And uh, <laughs> he had a tryout. I think it was from the Pittsburgh uh, Steelers. And they cut him. And somebody saw him playing in a Sandlot game. And uh, he signed a contract with the Baltimore Colts. Um, and the rest is history. Um Probably one of the five greatest quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. If for no other reason that the team that he played with had confidence in him, he called all his own plays. There was nothing coming in from the bench, and uh, he was a master at uh, just finding the open guy. Um, so what it, else it, can I say about that? It is amazing. It is amazing when you're talking about how he was cut by Pittsburgh, about how some things you just have to be at the right place at the right time. I mean, how someone could actually cut him, and then he goes on to have a stellar career. It could be mind-boggling to figure out what they were thinking when they did cut him. Well, uh, I'll tell you. I'll give you. I'll give you my slant on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ability to evaluate talent and to project what a young player can become is uh, probably an underappreciated uh, talent in the NFL and in most other team sports. 
um, you know, it's not just uh, athletic ability because Johnny is not a great athlete, but the guy was a great leader, had a good arm, and uh, had a feel for the game. Um, and he, you know, had a lot of heart, too. What about from the Giants of that era? Did you have any favorite players? Yeah. Um, the Giants in that era had, well, Frank Gifford. Uh, they had, um, uh, what's his name, the linebacker, Sam Huff, who went to West Virginia. And uh, <laughs> it, it, I'll tell you a funny Sam Huff story later. But uh, they had Jim Katkavich, Dick Modulewski. Um, I'm not sure if Del Schnaufferog was on that team. The quarterback was, um, uh, he was from Mississippi. What the heck was his name? The head coach was Jim Lee Howell. You're thinking about Charlie Connolly. Stuck in Charlie Connolly, that's right. Um, Very good quarterback. And uh, he was eventually replaced by Y.A. Tittle, who played in two or three championship games with the Giants in the uh, early 60s. Unfortunately, they didn't win. They lost to the Packers in 61 and 62, and they lost to the Chicago Bears in 63. And um, they were hard-fought games, uh, except for the one in 62. One where the Packers just beat the heck out of them, and uh, the strangest, the ironic thing is that the head coach for the Packers was Vince Lombardi, who was an assistant with the Giants uh, up until about 1958, along with Tom Landry. And when Jim Lee Howe retired, uh, somehow the marriage decided to give the job the job to Ali Sherman, and uh, because of that, um, uh, Lombardi. Uh, was hired by the Packers to be the head coach in 1959. And Landry became the head coach of the uh, new uh, franchise, the Dallas Cowboys. And both of them are in the Hall of Fame, and and both of them are great head coaches. And uh, I read a story somewhere that around 1960 or 61, uh, Wellington Mara actually flew to Green Bay and had dinner with... um, uh, Vince Lombardi and asked him to, to 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 come to the Giants, and Lombardi's answer was it's too late and I don't have a contract, so I, the answer is no. Um, yeah, Lombardi was um, the guy could have been the CEO of any Wall Street firm. That's how much of a leader he was, and um, you know he he said some things that. People still repeat. Um, you know, one writer asked me, he says, he says, Vince, why do you push your, your players so hard in in in, uh, in practice and in in, um, in the preseason? And his response was, fatigue makes cowards of us all. So he had the best conditioned team in the league, and they were as fresh in the fourth quarter as they were in the first quarter, and they didn't make mistakes. Didn't, he did not tolerate mistakes. Um, you know, he could tolerate a physical mistake, but not a mental mistake. And, um, and that, I, yeah, that seems that seems to be his kind of signature, where he didn't really have too many plays in a playbook, but he made you run it over and over until you had it down in your sleep. Over and over and over until it was, uh, you could do it in your sleep, and. Um, you know, his teams in 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 the nine in the sixties won five out of nine championships. They won uh, three NFL titles and two Super Bowls. Although they didn't call the Super Bowl back in '66 and '67, and um, there was he, he was under tremendous pressure because the two leagues had not uh, merged yet, and it was still the NFL against the AFL. And in the first game, they played the Kansas City Chiefs. And uh, I think the final score was um, something like 35 to 10, maybe 35 to 14. And um, 
in the second one against the LA Raiders, they won 33 to 14, I believe. So they, 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 they were, were pretty I mean, much they were still out. Oakland. Yeah. Yeah, Oakland Raiders, but, right. Uh, yeah, do you, I think back do you in, think, I, yeah, go ahead. Do you think that had the Giants, and this can apply to Tom Landry too, do you think the Giants would have been better off in the 60s if they had um, Lombardi or Landry as their head coach, or do you think that Unquestion, where they ended unquestion, up? Unquestionably, unquestionably. The Giants did a very poor job of drafting starting in around 1963 or 64. And for the next, I don't know, maybe 15 years, they were terrible. Terrible. I mean, they drafted guys like Rocky Thompson, who was terrible, and um, kind of something Freeman or Freeman something. He was a, uh, a wide end, a, a tight end, or a wide receiver who was a bust. Um, so whoever was evaluating the talent on those teams back in that era had no idea what the hell he was doing. And Lombardi was a great, great. Uh, talent evaluator, as was Tom Landry. And I'll tell you a funny story about that. By the way, Lombardi also said, winning is not everything, it's the only thing. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, become, his, that's, become, that's becoming like his uh, signature. Yep, yep. And um, he died early. He died from, uh, from uh, uh, colorectal cancer. Uh, he was the coach of the Washington Redskins, and he was beginning to get them uh, rounded, rounded up into shape to be a very good team, and uh, he died, young man. And the, and the strangest thing is, is that he actually started out as a high school football coach. Um, I think it was some team called St. Mary somewhere. Might have been in, uh, in New Jersey. Um, and he became, uh, he went to West Point as, as an assistant. And uh, the head coach retired. And Lombardi asked if he could become the head coach. And you know what they said? They said the, the, they're not ready to hire an Italian coach. Yeah. Um, and um, so he left, went to the NFL. And uh, the rest is history, as they say. And um, in the 1930s, Lombardi was at Fordham University. He was actually uh, studying to become an attorney in a law degree. And he was on their football team in the 30s. And they were called the Seven Blocks of Granite. He was like five foot nine and weighed about 205 pounds. And, uh, you know, in the 1930s, the players were not as fast, not as big, okay, not as strong as they are today, generally speaking. Although I think, I think they were superior in the fundamentals of the game. I watch a lot of football, and uh, there are certain uh, uh, things that just drive me crazy. Tackling is a lost art. They don't have to tackle, you know. They run into guys yeah, and try to knock them down. And if they don't, and if they don't wrap them up, guy gains another 10 to 15 yards. Uh, and, and, he, and he gets hurt in the process. Excuse me? And the defender gets hurt in the process. Well, I don't know who gets hurt. I mean, you know, it's, it's just a lack of fundamentals. I mean, they make a lot of, a lot of mental errors. Um, plus, the NFL has become a very, very offense-oriented league. The defenses are... Um, I think, uh, um, I don't want to say picked on, but uh, uh, there is a uh, disparity in the the way the, the games are being pulled. Well, and also, too, they they don't have full contact practices like they did back in back in those days, so it's going to take down the Well, the, you know, the, 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 the union, uh, you know, every time they renegotiate a contract, Gets these stipulations that the you know the players are off to Tuesday. They don't practice full full pads. Uh, now they practice. I think they start practice on Wednesday, and uh, you know there are limitations on the on the uh, on the OTAs and on on things in training camp. 
Um, I mean, some of them I know are for safety measures, but, you know, something like that can be overdone. Right. So to go back to Vince Lombardi, and this is something I'm curious about, what do you think it was that made him such an iconic coach? And by that I mean, like, what made him different from other championship-winning coaches like George Hallis or Paul Brown? Uh, I think his attention to detail, you know, and you're you're mentioning two guys are in the Hall of Fame, so, you know, uh, I'm not going to say that Lombardi was even significantly better than either of those two. Um, You know, Paul Brown actually coached the Browns when they were not in the NFL. I think they were in the American Football Conference or something like that, and Otto Graham was the uh, the quarterback, and... um, they had a fullback named Marion Motley, a pretty good player. And uh, I think they won something like six out of nine championships in the American Football Conference before they became an NFL team. And Paul Brown, not only coached the team, he was the owner of the team. But I think the thing with Lombardi was his, was his he, he was, he had a tremendous amount of drive to succeed. Um, he was a taskmaster, but his players loved him. They loved him. Um, you know, some of them cursed him out of practice and stuff like that, but they loved the guy. And when you have players like that that will run through a brick wall for you, you've got to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's how you kind of command respect. I mean, I think when you're a guy like Lombardi and being able to lead men, you know, it takes a certain type of person to be able to yeah, make a grown man right. really want to run through a brick wall for you. Yeah, you know, and and so was, he, he was also, he was also the GM, and uh, yeah, that's he was too. responsible for he was responsible for negotiating uh, player contracts. And in those days, the player came in one on one to negotiate his contract. And there was a situation, probably 1962 or 63, where a player walked in and uh, with another gentleman, and they sat down in front of Lombardi's desk in his big office. And the boy said, excuse me, so-and-so, talking to the player. Who's that gentleman? He says, well, that's my agent. He says, I see. He says, uh, could the two of you excuse me for about 10 minutes and wait out in the waiting room and I'll call you back? And they said, sure. Calls it back in 10 minutes later. He says, I have good news for you, to the player. I just traded you to the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> we talked about Cleveland earlier. Uh, can you talk yeah. to me about the first experience you had watching Jim Brown play? The guy was incredible. He had this knack of following his blockers, and he actually would put a hand on the blocker's back and 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 steer the blocker in one direction or the other. And he would slide through the line of scrimmage sometimes sideways. And then when he squared up, it was instant acceleration. And it took it usually took three or four guys to get him. Once he had head up ahead of steam. It didn't, one guy didn't bring him down. That's how powerful he was. And um, I don't, I don't even remember him missing. He might, he may have missed a play periodically. I don't ever remember him missing a series of downs, and certainly not a game. I mean, the guy was indestructible, and he had this, he had this act that he would, uh, uh, that he would pull on on the other team after he was tackled. He'd lay on the ground for about three or four seconds, get up like he was crippled, and and stumble back to the huddle, and then the next play rip off a 25-yarder. So uh, he was not only a great athlete, but he was a smart athlete. Um, it's unfortunate that during those years when he was with, with the Packers, I mean with the Browns, that uh, they really didn't have – he was the offense for – Many of those years. There was one year, I guess it was 64, 65, where they finally got some, uh, some, some got him some help. They had uh, Paul Warfield and Gary Collins and Frank Ryan, and uh, I believe they beat the, the Colts in the slop. Um, mm-hmm. It was raining and the field was very muddy, and Jim Brown had a great game. Um, and... Um, he he retired. He was thir- he was thirty years old. The man was indestructible, and he was only thirty. And I think he gained for his career something like twelve thousand yards. And he could have played another five or six years, 
but he was making $30,000 as a football player and getting 300000 to make movies in Hollywood. So it was, not a, it was not a tough decision for him to retire from football. Right. Was he the uh, – well, do you think, think he was the best player? What's that? Do you think he was the best player of all time? Best, best football player of all time, yes. And I was not a Browns fan. I was a Giants fan. But um, best football player of all time. And um, the only person who's close is Jerry Rice. Is there another running back that you think is close to Jim Brown in terms of the impact he had, you know, for his team or even on the game itself? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, uh, the kid from the Lions retired early. What the heck was his name again? Um, Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders, very good running back. Um, Eric Dickerson, very good running back. Walter Payton, very good running back. Um O.J. Simpson, in spite of his, uh, his, his 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 character problems, was a very good quarterback, a uh, running back. Um, I think Jim Brown was frankly in a class by himself. Those other guys are, you know, reasonably close, but Jim Brown was. There's only one Jim Brown, and um, you know what more can I say about him? I mean. Uh, and then there, there, there was a kid who was drafted in 1960 or 61 uh, who also went to Syracuse, and uh, his name was Ernie Davis, and he was drafted by the Browns. Well, unfortunately for Ernie Davis and for the Browns, uh, they discovered that Ernie Davis had leukemia, and he died at a very young age. Wasn't his nickname the Express? I don't know. You know, that's a long time ago. That's uh, 60 years I, I ago. Think, so, uh, I, I think they made I mean, a movie about him. Really? Yes, you know something? Yeah, I, I think, think you're right. I think I recall seeing that some years back. That's also the, that um, also brings up the um, kind of story of Gail Sayers and uh, Brian Piccolo. Yeah, Piccolo died of some form of cancer also, a, a young man. He, he actually led the, the country in rushing. And probably, let me see, what year would this have been? 1964, maybe? He went to Wake Forest and led the league in, in rushing. And he was not a big guy. He was maybe 5'11", 25 pounds. And uh, the other players uh, in the country who were bigger, uh, Fred Tucker Fredrickson and Chuck Mercine and a few other guys, and um, he and Gail Sayers, I think, were drafted in the same year. And Gail Sayers went to went to Kansas, and Gale was about 5'10", 180 pounds, and uh, they called him the Kansas Comet. And um, I'm trying to recall, I remember there was a um, a college all-star game or one of those games, and there's this coach who was um, had a three or four or five, you know, running backs, and uh, <laughs> and these uh, these other running backs were you know big strong athletic guys, and he and he's saying to Gail you know you really can't compete with these guys, and uh, which was you know kind of stupid because I don't even think he knew who Gail Sayers was, but uh, I saw the game that the uh, Bears played in. Um, San Francisco. It was this old stadium called Kizar Stadium, and it was a muddy field. It had been raining, um, and I seem to recall that Gale Sayers in that one game scored six touchdowns. It was either five wow. or six. I think it was seven. Yeah, he scored one on a punt return, one on a kickoff return, uh, one passing, and one running. I mean, you can't you can't score a touch. You know, ain't, ain't, you know more touchdowns any other way other than those four. And uh, it was just incredible. And then um, he had this terrible knee injury, and um, it ended his career. They didn't have the medical procedures then like they had today. I think he only played about six or seven years. Um, And he was an exceptional player, exceptional player. And whenever I watch – the highlight reels of him. He has such a graceful way of running. It, it kind of contradicts the way Jim Brown played or 
you know, other power runners of that era. He had such a, a unique yeah. style to him. Yeah, yeah. Dale Sayers was pretty fast, um, you know, and um, for his size, he, uh, he was pretty powerful. When we move into the the eighties, that's when Bill Parcells comes into the picture for the Giants. Uh, yeah. Did you did you know Bill Parcells prior to retiring? Never heard of him. What was your reaction whenever they hired him? Were you hoping they would hire someone else, or did you think he was just going to last a couple of years and then? No, uh, you know, I didn't know who he was, but you know, I'm the kind of guy that gives somebody a chance to you know, prove prove what you made of. And uh, and what what was it about him that really kind of turned the organization around. Well, he was also a good talent evaluator. Um, you know, he would he would listen to players uh, if they said something, and he would think about it, and if he thought they were right, they, he would change something. If he didn't, he would keep, you know, he would do it his own way. He was his own man, and, um, you know, he knew the game. He was an ex-player. Um and he had a good coaching staff. You you know, not, not, listen, it's just like a quarterback. A quarterback is only as good normally as the team around him. Well, a head coach is the same thing. You've got to have a talented players, and you've got to have a good coaching staff. Um, that's just the way it is. How would you rank them compared to some of the other great defenses? Oh, the, 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 the best defense I ever saw was the 1970 Steelers. But I would say that defense that the Giants had in in, in the mid '80s with Lawrence Taylor mm-hmm. and Henry Harry Carson, and um, let me see, Jim Burt, um, George Martin, uh, Carl Banks uh, was was in, was in the top five of great defenses of all time, and also the '86 Bears, which you know it, it, I mean, they had their Eighty-five years. They had they had their you know their year of fame, but they petered out after that. I guess there were some defections, and maybe they resigned certain players. I never got to see Lawrence Taylor play live, obviously, but you know whenever I go back and watch some of his games, you know it just seems the guy is not even human at moments. I think I think he played a game with a, a separated shoulder against the Saints where he had to tape it up at halftime. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, yeah. First of all, the man was a great athlete. He was probably right. the best punter on the team, even though he didn't punt. He also could, could, could kick you know, field goals, although he wasn't the uh, the place kicker. And uh, he was 6'3", 245, and ran like a running back. Um so he was as quick as he was strong, he was quick, and he was fast, and he played with a lot of lot of emotion. And uh, he had some character issues, obviously. And I remember I remember watching a game with the two boys, and Lawrence Taylor was not playing well. And I said to him, you know, something's going on with him. It turned out he was doing cocaine. And uh, I guess he's has since kicked the habit. I think he went for uh, for counseling and, and, and rehab for a short period of time. Um, and you could make a case that Lawrence Taylor was probably the best defensive player in the history of the NFL. Although there were other guys, you know, Reggie White was a great defensive player. Um, there was a guy that played for the uh, 70s Steelers called Mean Joe Green, who was a great defensive mm-hmm. player. And the Packer and the, the Cowboys in the 60s and 70s had a guy named Bob Lilly, who's, who's called Mr. Cowboy, great defensive player. Uh, Mel Blunt for that 70s Steelers team was a, was, 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 a, was a cornerback. And they had to change the rules because of him because – uh, you now can't uh, uh, you can't impede a, a wide receiver five 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 yards past the line of scrimmage. Well, he would do it all the way down right. the field, you know. And that that Steelers team, that that defense, I believe has five guys in the Hall of Fame and one who should be. Uh, me and Joe Green is in it. Mel Blunt is in it. Jack Ham, 
Um, mm-hmm. Jack Lambert. Jack, yeah, Jack Lambert. Um, and uh, I don't know about Elsie Greenwood, but if he's not, he should be. The guy was a tremendous player. Yeah, he's not in the Hall of Fame. And a lot of, and he's had a, there's been a lot of people that have been pushing for him to get in for some years, but it still hasn't happened. I'm not even sure he's still alive. No, he passed away a few years ago. Yeah, and, they, you know, they had another linebacker who was pretty good, too. His name was Andy Russell. I'm not sure if he's in the Hall of Fame, but he was a very good ball Yeah, he wasn't in the Hall of Fame. I think he was on the team for their first two Super Bowls, and then he retired, I think, after that 76 season. And I think that 76 yeah. season is the year where they had, I think, five shutouts, which is a remarkable achievement. Yeah, and it, and, I was, and it was probably I, against a, probably against a pretty good uh, team. So, I mean, I saw the when, game when they beat uh, when when they beat uh, the Vikings sixteen to six. I think it was you know low scoring game. I think the Vikings had uh, two field goals, and Fran Farkenton was the quarterback. And uh, that pack of def- that that steal the defense just shut them down. Um, you know, and and the Steelers in those days had a undersized offensive line, uh, but they were fundamentally sound. And uh, there was also some rumors that, that that some of those offensive linemen were doing, you know, some what are they called today? Steroids. Um, steroids. Steroids or eight performance enhancers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. P. Yeah. Um, yeah. Peds. P. D. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when you had uh, Bradshaw, who was, you know, a real gunslinger, had a strong arm, and they had some they had some great offensive players, too. They had Lynn Swan and uh, Franco Harris, who was excellent, excellent running back in the Hall of Fame. And uh, there was another wide receiver, I'm trying to remember his name, Black Stallworth, John Stallworth, excellent player. And, uh, and I, it seems to call they had a tight, but yeah. I, I think uh, when it seems like, you know, talent evaluators are kind of the theme for great coaches, and I think Chuck Nolan was as good as any of them. Well, you know, he won four titles, but the talent on that team was, 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 was just terrific. I mean, I don't think there was a, a team that I've ever seen that had as as many good Great players as that Steeler team in the 1970s. You know they beat they beat some really really good teams. They beat a Dallas Cowboys team I think twice. Uh, they beat an LA Rams team who was very good. And I'm trying to remember who the fourth team was. Oh, it's the Minnesota Vikings. And they were all good teams. I mean, they, you know, Steel and the Steelers defense just shut them down. I think I think one of the closest games was the game against. Um, Either the Cowboys or Rams, where Jackie Smith, uh, who was a formal, a former St. Louis Cardinal tight end, dropped a touchdown and he was wide open, and the ball went right into his hands and it went through his hands and off his chest. And if the, and if the Cowboys had scored that touchdown, they would have won the game because it was near the end of the game. I think that's the game where the commentator said, "Bless his heart, he's got to be the sickest man in America." Oh yeah, yeah, I think yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you've seen four Super Bowl victories in your lifetime. Which one stands out to you the most? Oh, the Giants. The Giants. <clears throat> well, let me see. Uh, I got to say it was the one against the Buffalo Bills because it was an oddly played game. Uh, the Giants didn't throw the ball very much. Phil Sims was hurt, so they had Jeff Hotlet, Hostetler as the as the quarterback, who was a great athlete. He went to West Virginia, and uh, besides being a quarterback, he also played wide receiver because the guy was a good athlete and pretty fast. And uh, they had Otis Anderson, who who had a great game as as the running back. And um, I seem to put Belichick was the defensive coordinator. And Parcells once made the statement, he says, you know, Belichick's game plan was great. He says, but don't forget that the offensive coordinator on the team had a great game plan as, uh, for the offense. Um, so, 
you know, and the, and the Giants won the game 20 to 19, and the, the place kicker um, for the Buffalo Bills, I'm trying to remember his name, had a 47 to 48 yard field goal, and it was about two inches wide to the right, and the Giants wound up winning the game 20 to 19. So that was that was the closest game. What? Scott Norwood was the kicker's name. Scott Norwood, right. I think I might know the answer, but if you could sit down with anybody in NFL history and have a conversation just one-on-one, who would you like to talk to? Wow. Oh, man. Well, can I give you more than one? Yeah, go for it. Give me your your, uh, top... I'd, I'd say Jim Brown, Lawrence Taylor, in, 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 in all of the NFL? Yeah. Vince Lombardi. And I would pick those three guys. You know, there's you a have, funny uh, story about... What's that? Right? No, there, there, there's also a funny, funny story. There was a... Packers back in the, in, in, in the 60s had a wide receiver. Uh, I'm trying to remember his name, but he was a real character. As a matter of fact, Lombardi's first year, you know, they used to practice on a, on a college campus somewhere from Wisconsin. And uh, Lombardi had, uh, <laughs> had the whole team in the classroom. And Lombardi trying to be, you know, a smart ass, picked up a football says, team. This is a football. And one of the players, I forget, I'm trying to remember the guy's name, said, Coach, could you go a little slower? <laughs> um, he was also he was also a womanizer. I'm trying to remember the guy's name. He was actually a, a an early investor in the Chi Chi's restaurants too. And he caught he caught two touchdown passes in the first Super Bowl against uh, against the Kansas City Chiefs. Was it a Ma- McGee or something? something Max McGee. Max yeah. McGee. And uh, funny story, uh, Lombardi uh, would do bed checks personally during um, the um, um, the you know the preseason, and they all slept in dorms in the college. And he would do bed checks. All the doors were locked. And uh, I guess bed check was, I guess it was curfew time was 11, I mean, t- 11 o'clock uh, or somewhere around there. And Lombardi, and it was usually two two players to a room, and Lombardi walks into run, one room, and McGee's not in his bed. Lombardi reached outside the door for McGee to show up at 1 o'clock in the morning, or maybe he came back intermittently. And these guys in those days were making eight, nine, ten. Most of them had to have jobs in the off season because they, you know, they they couldn't support a family otherwise. They were making ten, twelve thousand dollars a year. And um, so McGee shows up, and Lombardi says, "McGee, you missed curfew, and it cost you two hundred fifty dollars." So. And, you know, those, that was a fine. So mm-hmm. three nights later, Lombardi again, McGee's not in his room. McGee comes in, Lombardi catches and says, McGee, this is going to cost you 500 He says, and the next one's going to cost you 1000 And if she's worth 1000 you let me know and I'll go with you. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> True story. True story. But his, I also read a... Um... Go ahead. Well, I was, I was just thinking back to the Packer team. They they also had a bunch of guys from the Hall of Fame. I mean, they had Herb Adderley, who was a great cornerback from, um, I think he went to Michigan or Michigan State, and he was he also played three or four years after his Packer days uh, with the Dallas Cowboys and, 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 and did very well. Willie Davis was a defensive end who was, who was um, uh, drafted, and he went to Grambling College. In those days, it was not a university. It was called Grambling College. Um, and I think the coach of those Grambling teams, a great black coach, because Grambling is a black school, and he was Eddie Robinson. And um, mm. he, he, 
he put some pretty good players into the NFL over the years. Um, and they had, let's see, Henry Jordan was a defensive tackle, Ron Kostelnik. Uh, they had a, uh, a safety, but a Bob Jeter, who was a very good ball player. Um, Jim Taylor, who was a, 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 a fullback drafted out of LSU, great player. I think he's in the Hall of Fame. Um, Paul Horney, who just died recently, was mm-hmm. went to Notre Dame. He was the Heisman Trophy winner, also played quarterback besides running back, and he was a place kicker. And Jerry Kramer. Now, yeah. 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 Kramer. Kramer's Kramer's a mountain of a man. Well, he's not that big. I mean, he. I'm not sure if he's still alive. He was only like six two and about two hundred sixty five pounds. But you see, the he thing is big. today, he played big because those guys were in shape. They didn't have that pot yeah. belly that you see on some of these diff- offensive defensive linemen today. You know, I mean, Mean Joe Green was six four. He's only two seventy five. Today, you get the you know defensive tackle. Same height, probably weighs three twenty. You know, with three thirty. Yeah. But you know, but the but the a guy like a guy like Cam Newton today would have been an offensive lineman. Who? Uh, a guy like Cam that. Newton, maybe, maybe a tight end or, or a linebacker. But uh, you know, you had some pretty big quarterbacks back then. But and I'll tell you, the quarterback for the Packers, I admired him greatly because he was soft spoken. Yeah, star. Uh, his, his his team uh, admired him, Bart Starr. He he was a 13th round draft pick for Alabama, and there was a uh, I, I guess a, a film session one time and um, with the whole team and Bart and and Lombardi started criticizing Bart Starr in front of the whole team for I guess I guess couple of plays that went wrong and after the after the session our star walked into you know the past to see Lombardi and he says to he says coach he says I don't mind being criticized but I don't think you should do it in front of the whole team because I have to be a leader on the team and they have to have confidence in me and you know what Lombardi says wow. He says, Bart, you're right. I will never do it again. Um, well, that's why. Well, that's probably why his players loved him so much because he understood where they were coming from. Yep. Yep. I, mean, I think. You, I think it's it. actually. I think it's actually a similar story with uh, Bill Walsh and Joe Montana. I think where Montana, yeah. I think, screwed up like when they were scrimmaging, and he said, I think he said something similar to Bill, and Walsh said, "Okay, I, I understand what you're saying." Yeah. Um, and did you remember whenever? Do you remember the the rivalry between the Baltimore Colts and the Packers back in the sixties? Uh, um, yeah, uh, you know there was a rival. The Packers had you know several rivals. The Bears had a pretty good team uh, with Mike Ditka and uh, pretty good defense. Um, That that rivalry to me kind of seems like that would have been the uh, reminiscent of the early Manning Brady rivalries. Yeah, actually, I think the Packers' biggest rivalry was with the Giants because the Packers beat the Giants in in the NFL championship game, sixty one and sixty two. I listened to the sixty two game sitting laying in my in my bed on radio because it was not on TV, uh, and. Um, it was a very cold, windy day in New York. The game was played at Yankee Stadium. And um, I think the Packers wound up winning the game something like 16 to 19 to 10 or 19 to 12. It was a low-scoring game. The, the, the weather conditions were terrible. You could hardly throw the ball. I mean, the wind was, 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 was uh, um had wind gusts of 30 to 35 miles an hour, and it was a, just a cold day. And, you know, in, the, in those days, the, the NFL season was over by, you know, the end of December. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it doesn't go into January, February like it does today. They play fewer games, and there were a lot fewer teams. Um, and I think 
you know, Lombardi's players knew how important it was to him uh, to get a little, uh, a little, you know, human nature being what it is, a little revenge on his on his old team. Um, yeah, that was a close-scoring game. The one, the the one in '61, the Giants. I mean, the Packers won handily. As a matter of fact, I recall I saw that game on TV in 1961, and Herb Adderley actually stole the ball from one of the Giants' wide receivers. Just took it right out of his arms. I don't know if it was Del Schaffner or Gifford or one of those guys, and took it right out and ran and ran it back for a touchdown. Now, I, I don't think uh, comparing teams from decades really gets anywhere. Um, but, like, hypothetically, if you had to take the best team, the best Packers team of the 60s, and play them against yeah. the best Steelers team of the 70s, who do you think would win? Yeah. Steelers. Really? Yeah. Although it wouldn't – it would be a close game. I, I just think that the Steelers' defense was so uh, overwhelming – and so superior to any defense I've ever seen. I mean, there were a couple of teams that were reasonably close, but that that steal of defense in the 70s was just, I mean, they were just uh, impossible for any offense to deal with. Wow. See, I think think when you do, like, uh, comparisons like that, like within a decade – like you like truth yeah. like I don't think a team from the sixties could compare to a team for today, but you know, I think maybe well, maybe like the nineties Cowboys. Let let's not compare teams but but compare players. If Jim Brown was playing today, he'd be the best uh, running back in the NFL. If he played in the in, in the nineties, he'd he'd have been the best running back in the NFL. If he played in the seventies, he'd have been the best running back in the NFL. I mean Jim Brown has a record. That is never going to be broken by any running back ever. He he, uh, for his career, I'm not talking about one year. Uh-huh. Career, averaged over five yards per carry, averaged over a hundred yards per game, and averaged over a touchdown per game. And he wasn't playing on great teams, but believe me, he was not. I'll tell you a story about uh, about something I saw. In person, probably in after after the when the Giants became terrible, they traded Sam Huff to the Washington Redskins. This is probably 1964, maybe, and uh, maybe 65. And uh, Tom Brookshire by that time was already an announcer, the color guy, and uh, he he was interviewing certain players on the field with the mic in his hand. And Sam Huff comes over with no shoulder pads, and he's got this practice jersey with holes in it. And after about two or three minutes, he says, you know, his, he says, Sam, what's with the holes in the jersey? He says, those are Jimmy Brown cleat marks. <laughs> I, I thought that was pretty funny. Did you ever see and, the and, uh, violent world of Sam Huff? Yeah. He also went to West Virginia. Um I don't know if it was a – I think it was a book originally. If they made a movie out of it, I'm not aware of it. Well, no, it wasn't a It wasn't a movie. It was the CBS uh, – I think it was like a half-hour yes, documentary. Yes, 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 yes. You know, the Giants' defense in those, games, in those days had a great defense back in the late 50s, early 60s with Jim Cavage, Andy Robustelli, uh, Rosie Greer was on that team, Sam Huff, um, you know, three or four other really good defensive players. Jimmy Patton. Wasn't um, wasn't Landry still a wasn't Landry still a player like in the early fifties or was that like the late forties? Well, first of all, Landry I think served in the Air Force, and I'm not sure if he was there for World War II, but he was a he was a, a I think a pilot or something like that in the Air Force back in World War II, and um, he was also a defensive back. At what school I can't remember, um, and um, he, I mean he was a very smart guy, and defense was his forte, and he's giving credit for for being the creator of the four three defense, 
right. also the flex defense. Um, and um, they had they had some great players on those Dallas teams back in the back in the uh, back in the sixties and, and and up until about nineteen seventy five. Um, yeah, had it not been had it not been for Pittsburgh, they probably would have been the dynasty of that year of that uh, decade. Yep. Um, you know, they, they had some I mean, they really good quarterbacks. I mean, another, another guy yeah, I admire is Roger Staubach. Roger Staubach won the Heisman Trophy at the Naval Academy as a junior, and then uh, after he graduated, he had to serve two years um, in in the Navy active active duty before he could. Uh, and he was drafted by the Cowboys in like the seventh or eighth round. The, the Cowboys in those days drafted extremely well. They had these metrics that they used, I don't know what they were exactly, to evaluate players. And um they did a great job of drafting in those days. Do you know the the guy oh, that man. oversaw their scouting department? Um yeah, Gil Brandt I think his name was. Yep. Yep. Um and he's still around. And he's still doing yeah. some draft analysis. You got to be in his eighties. Um, yeah. And Storback was, like I said, drafted in the sixth or seventh round, and he all, he won a Super Bowl. And um, he, after he retired, became a major investor in real estate, and eventually sold his corporation, I think, to either Remax or one of those big. Uh, national uh, real estate uh, agencies for three hundred million dollars. So the guy, wow. is, the guy is a multi-millionaire. Well, he kept in touch with a lot of old cowboy players who fell on hard times, and he helped every one of them out. He either gave them jobs or you know lent them money or whatever he did. The guy is very, very uh, generous. Um, with his time and with his money. Yeah, he's definitely he definitely has that all American spirit. I mean, yep. I mean, yep. let's say whatever whenever I was watching uh, an interview uh, with Tom Landry, uh, like from the old yeah. NFL films, you know, he talks about like how Roger had to work hard to kind of uh, advance with the pro game because he was a big running quarterback in the beginning. And it wasn't really until yeah, he got to the they, Cowboys where they, he had to they, learn how to they called him. They called, they, they called him Roger the Dodger. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, you know, like like Fran yeah. talking to Fran the Scram. Yeah, yeah. I, I yep. think he's a guy that yep. even, even if they won, even if you won a Cowboys fan, you still appreciated him. Yeah, I I admired him. I admired Bart Starr and, and, and a few other players. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram. And reach out to me at thefootballodyssey.com or at sportshistorynetwork.com. Take care until next time.